Now to breaking news on the Karen Ristevsi investigation. Laurel Irving is outside police headquarters this evening. And Laurel, what can you tell us? Mitch, just a few minutes ago, Victoria Police confirmed that the body found in bushland near Mount Macedon yesterday afternoon is that of missing woman Karen Rostevsky. Detectives arrived at the Rostevsky family home late this afternoon, the same home from where Karen disappeared eight months ago after a fight with her husband. The detectives wouldn't say anything when they left, but it's clear now that they were breaking the awful news to her family. For eight months, they've had no idea what happened to Karen Rostevsky. It's been a very difficult period, but when this body, this badly decomposed body, was found yesterday afternoon, it became clear that perhaps there was a major breakthrough on the way. The body was discovered by a walker in bushland. It prompted a large search of the area, forensic investigations to determine who this person is. And while that was happening, police returned there today with the SES to search for any more clues as to what happened to Karen Rostevsky. A difficult but critical search. More than 20 SES volunteers hunted for clues through thick bush and rocky terrain. Watch where you're stepping. It's not a race. Guided by homicide detectives, they looked for anything that could be related to the body found here yesterday or the person who left it. For hours they searched, then this afternoon they found something, a possible clue in the ongoing mystery. Oh, it was terrible because it's such a nice, quiet place up here. At the scene, it's easy to see how a body could be undiscovered here for so long, even though it's just off a dirt track and there are homes just hundreds of metres away. The trees here are so thick that you'd have to be standing next to something out of the ordinary to notice it. Yesterday's discovery has made many Mount Macedon locals stop and think. One woman told police she'd noticed a van on the track in August, while Ian Flannery noticed a smell. About six or eight months ago, every time I come down with the dogs, uh, one of the dogs would actually stop in this position. I'm just glad that they've found her remains, but it's still horrible to have something like that happen anywhere. Mitch, Karen's brother reportedly was back at that scene where the body was discovered late this afternoon. This has been such a difficult time for her loved ones. They've made repeated emotional public appeals for help for any clue as to what happened to Karen Rostevsky. It appears now they have some answers, but still so many more questions remain. Hi guys, welcome back to the True Crime Sisters podcast. We hope that you've all had an amazing Christmas and you got lots of presents and had nice food and drinks with your family and friends. And thank you guys so much for being patient with us, having time off. We have gotten quite a lot of messages asking where we are. So yeah, we're glad to be back. We're excited to bring you guys all of our new episodes this year and we're hoping that 2018 brings all of you guys all the happiness you're looking for. Just a reminder that we're still going strong on Patreon. So if you were interested in getting some extra episodes from us, you can sign up there for as little as $1 a month. And I think we've got five episodes up there at the moment. So yeah, yeah, that'll just keep growing each month. So we've got, so far we've got um, the Diane Shuler case. We've got Susan Powell, the Columbine High School Massacre. The West Memphis Three. West Memphis Three and Madeline McCann. And we'll have a new one coming out 
um, on the 5th of February. Before we continue, we just wanted to say a big thank you to our newest Patreon members, and we have gathered quite a few new ones over the break, so we're just going to sort of break that up over the next few episodes. So if you don't hear your name today, just know that it is coming. So big thank you to Melissa, Riley, Lara, Rebecca, Karen, Shanae, Dahlia, Megan R, Karen, Rach and Aaron. You can also support the show by following us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, as well as sending through any case requests that you are wanting to hear. We're always open to hearing um, new requests and adding them to our list. So with that, I'll hand you over to Bill and we'll get into today's case. Thanks, Harry. So today we are discussing the case of Karen Rostevsky. She's a 47-year-old mother of one who went missing from her Avondale Heights home in Melbourne on the 29th of June 2016. Karen was the joint owner and manager of her own clothing boutique, which was called Bella Blue, and that was in Taylor's Lakes. Friends of Karen describe her as sensitive, generous, intelligent, gentle and kind, and based on these words, she sounds like a wonderful woman. By all accounts, she was a wonderful mother to her now-grown-up daughter, Sarah, as well as a woman who gave back to those in need. 53-year-old Boris Rostevsky, her husband, states that at approximately 10am on the 29th of June 2016, he and Karen had an argument about their joint business. The fight was about money, and it would later be revealed that the couple's business was in trouble, and they were reportedly in debt. The Rostevskys lived in Avondale Heights, which is an affluent suburb 12 kilometres northwest of Melbourne's bustling CBD. Their luxury five-bedroom home backed up onto the picturesque Maribyrnong River and was reportedly worth approximately $1.1 million. Boris Rostevsky initially reported that following their fight, Karen went for a walk to clear her head, with approximately $850 in her possession. She reportedly left with her Gold Coach brand handbag and purse, as well as her mobile phone. It wasn't long until police were called, after Karen uncharacteristically didn't come home. Senior Constable Adam West said right from the start that police held grave concerns for Karen's safety. On the 2nd of July 2016, Karen's family stepped forward and faced the media, pleading desperately for her safe return. Her daughter Sarah stated, I just want my mum to come home. It's not like her to miss work as well. It's just not like her. Boss restated that Karen had left to cool off and although she had been known to do this in the past, it just wasn't like her to not return home within the next couple of hours. He elaborated on the fight, stating that Karen went upstairs afterwards before leaving on foot through the garage and stating, I'm going to go and clear my head. July 2nd was the first day we, as the public, heard from the family of Karen. Her family were reportedly desperate for information about her. So when Sarah fronted the media as Harry just spoke about, she stood there with her father, Boss, by her side. As is usually the case with these types of cases, It wasn't long before Boris Rostevsky was questioned by police about his wife's disappearance. So Boris and Vasco, who are brothers, came out to the media and stated that they were one of a few other men that were also interviewed by police. So it was almost like Boris was trying to make it seem like he was not the only person being looked at by the police. Soon after this statement, police came forward and officially rejected the claim 
that they had interviewed anyone apart from Karen's husband, Boss. We thought this might actually be a good time to quickly touch on the statistics surrounding spousal homicide in Australia and why police may have zeroed in on Borse so quickly. So in a study conducted by the Australian Institute of Criminology using 13 years of data, it was found that in Australia an average of 38% of homicides are committed by family members. Of these 38% of murders... 654 out of 1,158 homicides are committed by the victim's intimate partner. So that's sort of around 50%. Not exactly, and I'm terrible at math, so don't quote me on that. For reference sake, an intimate partner can include a current or former spouse, boyfriends and girlfriends, dating partners or sexual partners. And as many of you have probably heard before as true crime fans, the most dangerous time in a relationship Um, is when an intimate partner is planning to leave. That's the most likely time that you will be killed by a partner. And as time went on, information was coming out um, from a couple of different sources that Karen may actually have been getting ready to leave Boss at that time. And we will go into more detail about that fact a bit later in the episode. 11th of July, 2016, the missing person squad was called in to join the investigation into Karen's disappearance. Fear was growing that she had fallen victim to foul play, as it was extremely out of character for her to leave and not get in contact with her family. Boss's brother Vasco, who we mentioned earlier, um, came forward and made a public plea to the media, directed to Karen. In this plea, he stated, If you are still alive, talk to us. If you don't want to talk to your husband, give me a call or my wife. We've read quite a few times that people were actually shocked that he started his plea with, If you are still alive... Generally, you would think that they, if they're addressing them directly, you would maybe think that they would assume that they are alive. Yeah. And even if you think that they might not be, you probably wouldn't... You'd be if you're in talking, denial a bit, wouldn't you? Yeah, or if you're talking to her, you might... It just it just got a few people it's talking. It's a bit of a strange thing to say. Mm. And you think, like, sort of as a loving family member, you would be kind of hoping beyond hope that she is still alive yeah. and you probably wouldn't even think to say that. Yeah, well, that's definitely what a few people thought. July 13th was a busy day in the media for Karen's case. Popular Australian celebrity Samuel Johnson came forward to speak to the media about Karen. And for those that don't know, Samuel Johnson is like a fairly popular celebrity in Australia. He was in a show called The Secret Life of Us, which was a popular sort of drama soap opera kind of show throughout the um, like early 2000s. So you might also know that Samuel Johnson has a sister called Connie and she actually sadly recently passed away from cancer. Samuel was and I think still is a major activist for their family-run charity um, which is called Love Your Sister and how they met Karen was Karen actually helped to dress Connie for all her sort of um, benefits around the foundation with clothes from Bella Blue. So she would sort of help Connie to feel glamorous and feel really good about herself, even though she was obviously going through uh, a really hard time with her disease. So the Johnson family actually felt really close to Karen and they were really devastated when she went missing. And Samuel had some very kind words to say about Karen and he publicly pled for her to be returned home. He stated, she is the last person in the world you would expect something like this to happen to. She never puts a foot wrong. Our hearts are bleeding for her daughter. Uh, His sister Connie also came forward and cemented this by stating, we've laughed together, we've dressed and undressed together and we've shared our highs and lows. 
So I think it's pretty clear. It's just sort of another example of how like loved Karen was and how she was very willing to give back to the community and help people out. So yeah, I just thought that was a sort of good example of who she was. Hmm. July 13th was also the day that police and SES volunteers started a search to scour the bushland in the area behind the Rostevsky home along the Maribyrnong River. The next day, Karen's aunt, Patricia Gray, appeared before the media to make a public plea for information about her niece's disappearance. She appeared with Boss and Sarah. She stated, We're hoping that today we will find something that will lead us to Karen. We have nothing, so if you have something that you know, something that you've seen, you've heard something, someone has spoken to you about something, anything, please, we're asking you to help us. It's not possible for someone to just disappear. It's not Karen. Karen would not leave us. After some initial questions, a member of the media asked Boss abruptly whether he had killed his wife. Boss refused to respond and Sarah became visibly upset, as you can understand. Patricia quickly ended the interview and pointed out how inappropriate the question was. It is a very inappropriate question. It's very inappropriate. But at the same time, a Mm. lot of people have pointed out that his response probably isn't typical. Yeah. But then, again, it's one of those things where you say, I guess, like, nobody really knows how they're going to act. I just feel like that's inappropriate just because I think it's really important that we keep the innocent till proven guilty. Because obviously, like you said, um, people can act differently in different circumstances. So this is an extremely traumatic circumstance. So I obviously don't know if he's innocent or guilty. There hasn't been a trial yet. So I just think for the media to start, if the media were just allowed to openly do that constantly, I just think it would be trial by media every case because yeah. that's just, it's so hard yeah. because I feel like our initial human instinct is to make a judgment sort of based on what we see and what we've heard and I guess basically the usual thing is that the spouse did it so it's so hard yeah. to not make that initial judgment I suppose if you're in the media in my opinion you just have a responsibility not yeah. to do that that's just that is also my opinion so I don't know I in just, a way they probably almost think they're helping yeah by kind of catching him off guard but, yeah. yeah, it's not really within their responsibility. And to me it just seems unfair as well. And not necessarily just in his case, but just if that's how we're allowed, that's how the yeah. me- not us, but that's how the media are allowed to talk to people. It just seems... Yeah, and it's obviously not adding anything to the case the police are making because it's not going to be, like, admissible in yeah. court or anything like that. So Yeah. So we'll just insert a clip of that um, interaction here now. It's quite distressing. It's it, we take every day as it comes, and every day it's like it's it's a nightmare. It's yeah, it's 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 difficult for the family. Patrice, do you know anyone who might have wanted to harm Karen? No, I don't. There's absolutely nobody. If that was the case, we would already know something about that. That would be an ongoing thing. But no, we don't. In the same week, Boss and Karen's financial situation came to light in the media. It was revealed that when Karen disappeared, the couple was on the verge of major financial difficulties. They had years of financial problems and the business owed up to $600,000 in unsecured debts. So as we stated before, the Rostevskys owned a boutique in Taylor's Lakes called Bella Blue 
and they had previously owned another Bella Blue boutique in Broadmeadows, which they'd had to close in the lead-up to her disappearance, and I think that may have been due to financial difficulties as well. Reportedly, the shopping centre where the remaining boutique was located lodged a caveat over the Rostevsky's Avondale Heights property in February of 2016, and this was thought to be due to unpaid rent after a dispute was opened by the shopping centre. Sorry, what's a caveat? So I think what that is, from what I've read, is that um, the um, the shopping centre can basically take their house if they're not paying the rent. Really? Or the sh- like, they the can shopping take shopping centre. Or like the owner of the sh- the space that they're renting for Bella Blue. So they, if they're behind six hundred thousand oh, dollars, yeah. like obviously they owe that money the... to someone. Yeah, it's yeah. like their house is sort of up for grabs. If like they've got to get their money back from somewhere. Yeah. Okay, that sort of makes sense. But obviously, I'm not a lawyer or anything. So yeah. this is just what I can piece together yeah. from what I've read. Yeah, I've just never heard that word. Sorry about that. That's okay. And obviously, if we've gotten that wrong, apologies. Feel free to write in and yeah. tell us what we've let done wrong. Let us know, wrong. yeah. I, I still have no idea, so yeah. <laughs> let us know. In mid-July 2016, police and SES conducted a search of a 60-hectare area between Canning Reserve and Afton Street. And this area is located um, along the Maribyrnong River, which, as we stated earlier, is the river where the Rostevsky home sort of backed up onto. Police stated, we can't say what route she may have taken from the house, so it's still up in the air for us at this stage. It was around this time that both of the Rostevsky family cars were seized from their property by police. On the 22nd of July, a new character came to the forefront in Karen's disappearance. 32-year-old Anthony Ricard is Boris Rostevsky's son from a previous relationship and goes by his mother's surname. He is also a self-confessed ice addict. He came forward to the media stating that he is Karen's stepson and that he has been questioned by police. He stated that the marriage between Boris and Karen was turbulent and that Karen was considering leaving at the time of her disappearance. It is unknown how Anthony would know this, considering that he hadn't actually lived in that family home for several years. He seemed to enjoy the fact that he may be considered a suspect and openly told the media in an interview that although he didn't kill Karen, he did have a motive to kill her, which was his anger over a family conflict. Anthony Ricard also stated that he didn't believe that Boris Rostevsky had it in him to kill his wife. He stated that he didn't believe that Karen would just leave spontaneously and not come back. According to him, he had spoken to her on the phone approximately 10 days before she disappeared to speak to her about a family conflict, but she was not open to speaking about it with him. He stated that the police asked him outright, did you kill your stepmom? And he replied, I would have liked to. He thought that it was possible that she killed herself out of guilt. And there are quite a lot of sort of rumours and serious allegations surrounding what he has said about her, but we are not going to be repeating those because obviously there's no proof to back them up and there's been multiple family members of Anthony's come forward and saying that he's quite a manipulative and unreliable source in the family. So we'll just leave that there, but he... Yeah, he's been quite an interesting person in the case. When reporters asked him whether he killed Karen, he laughed and stated, I'm very capable. If you're going to do something like that, you've got to be prepared to spend the rest of your life in jail, and I'm not a jailbird. Anthony moved in with Karen and Boris Rostevsky when he was 14 years old. 
While he describes this time as a nightmare childhood, other family members say he took advantage of the couple who brought him in. Karen and Boss provided him with clothes, shelter, food and a warm bed, but reportedly conflict within the family tore them apart. While Anthony was certainly a character that inserted himself into the investigation, police didn't seem to focus on him too heavily. On the 27th of July, 2016, detectives dressed a mannequin in the clothes Karen was wearing when she disappeared in an attempt to jog the memory of people from the area. They also created an information caravan with the hopes that it would generate new leads, stating, We hope it jogs people's memory if she was seen by anyone in the area leaving the house. On the 29th of July, police divers scoured a three-kilometre stretch of the Maribyrnong River. Belinda Batty, a spokesperson for the Victorian Police, said it's in response to information from a member of the public. People looked on as a police vessel moved up and down the river for a number of hours. Soon after this search, it was revealed that although the Rostevsky family home had CCTV cameras installed, Bors stated that they had not been in operation for approximately five to six months. As a result of this, there was no CCTV footage of Karen leaving the property. In addition, it was revealed that none of the Rostevsky's neighbours had seen anything that morning. On the 23rd of August 2016, Bors made a public statement that the police had advised him not to speak about the disappearance anymore. He stated that the argument the couple had had on the day Karen disappeared had nothing to do with finances. It wasn't long before police disputed this claim, stating that they had never advised him not to speak to the media, and with this, public speculation about Borsa's involvement continued to grow. Police stated, Police are not in a position to restrict anyone from speaking to the media. And it's pretty crazy that he made that claim. Yeah, I think if you were going to lie about that, you would say a lawyer, like... Because a lawyer would be, told me not police to. Police wouldn't do that. That's not... It's not really... They would actually like them. The more they speak, the more information police get. Yeah, so true. Not in, obviously not in every case. I can't speak for police, but I would imagine that I think police would probably... Yeah, it would be... And you'd think it would be more likely for a lawyer to say, stop Absolutely. speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Soon after Bors was caught out on this lie, his brother Vasco came forward to do what seemed to be some sort of damage control. He claimed that he believed that Karen was still alive and was probably living overseas. He claimed that he thought she'd probably used a fake passport to leave Australia and was most likely living in either China or the US. When asked about Bors's potential guilt in Karen's disappearance, Vasco said, A lot of husbands do that for some reason, referring to the murder, obviously, but no way is Bors capable of that. It was around this stage that Sarah Rostevsky sought support from the Missing Persons Advocacy Network, which is a group that provides practical support to those left behind in missing person cases. In late August, the search for Karen moved out to rural areas of northwest Melbourne. It was uncovered that Karen's mobile phone was tracked to Gisborne and Digger's Rest on the day she disappeared. And you may remember the Gisborne area from the Jill Maher, um case. It's quite a sort of rural area, lots of farmland and bushland. Yeah. Her phone pinged 40 kilometres northwest of her home on the Calder Highway. Borsa's phone also pinged in a similar area at a similar time. Following this, his phone was switched off for approximately two hours. 
Residents of rural northwest Melbourne were asked by police to check their land for any suspicious changes or activity or for disturbed earth or other suspicious things that had sort of come to light since Karen's disappearance. CCTV on the highway revealed Karen's 2004 Mercedes-Benz coupe travelling along the Calder that morning. When Boss was pressed about this, he stated that he had forgot to mention to police that he had driven that that he had driven her car that day to test a faulty fuel gauge, mm. which is obviously you wouldn't forget to say like say something like that, would you? I don't know. I can't. Well, his his wife's missing. I don't. So I don't know. It's one of those things where people act differently in different circumstances. Yeah. This for me, this part of it is sort of very reminiscent of the Gilmar case. Mm. How sort of the missing person's mobile phone and another person's yeah. mobile phone are sort of travelling along the same highway yeah. at the same speed. It absolutely seems suspicious, but just for me, like, you, I just... You can't judge at this point. You can't judge at this point. And I just know, like, sometimes it's been the other way. So, like, the Jill Mar case, but sometimes there is a reasonable explanation. Like, you can't just always say there isn't. Yeah. So, obviously, that does seem suspicious, and it definitely doesn't look good for Boss. So Boss then also told the police that the problem with the fuel gauge corrected itself when he went over a speed bump. And obviously when the police pieced together, like what I said before, that Boss and Karen's mobile phones and Karen's car were all sort of moving along the Calder freeway at the same time, suspicions were really growing at that point. And they did go to um, the Rostevsky's car and took some soil samples. Mm. Once the focus heavily surrounded Boss and other possibilities started to become less likely, Boss hired well-known law firm Starry Norton Helfen, I may have said that wrong, so yeah, I'm not 100% sure, um, to represent him. This law firm is headed by one of Melbourne's top criminal defence lawyers, Rob Starry, who was to become his new lawyer. In December 2016, searches of the North West ramped up again with dozens of police officers including members of the Missing Persons Squad, Search and Rescue and the Dog Squad, searched areas of Tularan Vale and Gisborne, approximately 28 kilometres from Melbourne. It was the most extensive and thorough search for Karen up until that point. The group searched grasslands, farmlands, wooded areas and creeks, removing bags of evidence as they went. As far as the public could tell, nothing of significance was found. On the 20th of February 2017... A person going on a bushwalk at Mount Macedon stumbled across the remains of a woman at approximately 12.30pm just off a bush track. The discovery site was approximately 12 kilometres from where police had previously conducted their large search. The area was taped off and the remains were removed in a hearse. Speculation immediately began that the remains could belong to Karen. A resident of the area came forward and stated that he had noticed a strange smell in the area approximately six to eight months before the discovery date, but he hadn't noticed anything when he examined the area. On the 21st of February 2017, police confirmed that the remains belonged to missing mother Karen Rostevsky. Just hours after this revelation... Boss Rostevsky headed quickly to his lawyer's office in Melbourne CBD, ignoring media questions on his way in. The following day, Boss's lawyer, Mr Starry, spoke out publicly, confirming that Boss was the number one suspect, and this is quite a strange move for a lawyer to make. He stated, It's pretty clear police have him as their number one suspect. We've been advising him since day one. 
Obviously, his wife has been found and there's an autopsy report being completed. He wants to see what that could mean. According to media reports, there was no visible injuries found on Karen's body. But having said that, obviously the media is not always 100% reliable and it doesn't appear that Karen's autopsy report is publicly available yet. It was revealed that Boss was linked to the area through his brother Vasco, who owned a racehorse who was housed in the nearby Toulon Vale. Witnesses also came forward with information about seeing a small truck in the area where Karen was discovered and some men who matched Vasco and Borsa's description in July, along with bags of concrete and lime. Obviously, this information hasn't been confirmed by police, but is out in a lot of sort of different media reports, so we thought it probably was worth mentioning. Another witness revealed to the media that he had gone to authorities with this information too. He stated that he had been on his way home from a party in December 2016 and was driving near the area where Karen was found when his headlights shone on a man walking out of the bush with a shovel. Reportedly, the man jokingly stated, so where did you bury the body, mate? (laughs) The reason we're doing the search today is that um, over the last week, we've spoken with a witness who's seen a black-coloured Mercedes uh, at this location on Childers Road, uh, just over to my right, um, facing the wrong way on the road. Uh, just near Mount Macedon Road. Um, there's no surprises that a, um, a black Mercedes is, is uh, the focus, one of the focuses of our, of our interest in relation to this investigation, that being the death of Karen Rostevsky after she went missing uh, from Avondale Heights home on the 29th of June of last year. Uh, as I say, investigators have spoken with a witness who's seen the vehicle here. Um, the importance of the, the, um, the, the sighting I guess can't be overstated in the fact that we have information, we've confirmed that um, the witness has articulated this sighting prior to the discovery of Karen's body in February. So on that basis, it's of um, significant importance to us because um, the credibility is such that the caller and the witness could not have known the location of Karen's body at the time of making the observation. On the 6th of March 2017, mourners gathered at St John's Uniting Church in Essendon to say goodbye to the much-loved mother of one. In attendance were her daughter Sarah, as well as Boss. There were a lot of emotion and tears as her family came together to share their grief. Her aunt Patricia Gray told Fairfax Media how a person such as Karen, so full of love, life and laughter, could be left abandoned discarded, with no thought or emotion shown, is unforgivable. On the 13th of December 2017, Boris Rostevsky, the husband of much-loved mother Karen, was charged with her murder. This arrest has been a long time coming, but just moments ago, Boris Rostevsky stood in the deck of in the dock of the Melbourne Magistrates Court and faced that one charge of murder in relation to his wife, Karen Rostevsky. Now, Boris didn't say anything at all in that very short court hearing. He left all of the talking up to his high-profile lawyer, who made it very clear to the large media contingent that his client would be pleading not guilty. Other than that, Boris simply stared ahead. He seemed unsure 
unshaven and very tired. Now, of course, this all relates to Karen, who went missing from their Avondale Heights home in June last year. And while there were many pleas for her to return to her family, those pleas were made by Boris and her daughter, Sarah. She never did. There were also claims that perhaps Karen was still alive and living somewhere overseas. But that was all well and truly ruled out when the mother's body was found in the Macedon Ranges in February. As for Boris and what happens to him now, well, he was led away by prison guards and he'll have some time to think about that one charge of murder because he won't reappear in court until April 18. At 7.20am, the missing persons squad arrested the 53-year-old man and charged him with one count of murder. Boris attended a brief hearing the following day where his lawyer, Rob Starry, made it clear that Boris would be pleading not guilty to that charge. And obviously we're not going to know Karen's full story until there's a trial and justice is sought. Until then, our thoughts go out to her family, friends and loved ones. She sounds like a strong, smart and independent woman whose life was ended abruptly and unfairly. And we are obviously going to follow this case and when the trial begins and sort of completes itself, we will definitely be revisiting this case and doing another episode on it. So, yeah, we just really wanted to sort of do an episode on it because it's such a sad case and it's a very prominent case in Melbourne right now. Mm. It appears that Boss's friends and family are divided on his guilt or innocence and until he has his day in court, everything is pure speculation. Our thoughts are especially with Sarah Ristevsky, who has not only lost her mother, but also risks losing her father too. And we encourage you to spare a thought for her. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast today. We look forward to bringing you heaps of new content in 2018. Until next time, please stay safe.